That's a wonderful song. Yes, it is. About the end of our life. How can we sit here and sing a song about the end of our life? It's because we're going to be transported from this present world into our eternal kingdom. Um, Seeing Sister Martha here, we can't help. I think about this pulpit, this stand. Brother Thomas Mustin, one of the most faithful members, ministers, members, sanctified people that we had, and how he loved coming up here. Um, um, That's what's going to happen to every one of us. But look at the joy that he had every day of his life. It's the joy that he gives us that takes us through all the things of life and how that God can do that to him. And as we heard his testimony about how he was going hard as he could the other way. And on a Friday night, if I remember correctly, got struck down and walked in the doors and wanted to get sanctified. That made all the difference in his life. That he could live to the age he had and the influence he had and the grandchildren that he has on the stand. One generation cometh, another goeth. But the Word of God abideth forever. Brother Josh Tyre used to preach from this pulpit. My father used to preach from this pulpit. Brother Thomas used to preach from this pulpit. And there will be people after us. So what does it mean? It makes us to make sure that we have the Spirit of the Lord in our heart. I'm certainly glad to be here tonight. I'm glad for everyone that's here. Beautiful day the Lord has made. Physically, you know, He made a rough day the other day. He makes everything in life so that we could treasure and worship Him. Yeah, it's a beautiful day, but if it was raining and blowing like it was a couple of days ago, we still have the presence of the Lord. We still have the comfort of the Lord. And I wanted to read a little bit in, in the fifth chapter of Daniel. And, and let me see what you all think of what, you, of, of what the Lord has done to this man. Now, Belshazzar the king made a great feast to a thousand of his lords and drank wine before the thousands. And Belshazzar, while he tasted the wine, commanded to bring the golden and silver vessels which his father Nebuchadnezzar had taken out of the temple which was in Jerusalem that the kings and his princes and his wives and his concubines may drink thereby. Then they brought the golden vessels that were taken out of the temple, the house of God, which at Jerusalem, and the kings, and they drank in them. Um, this is after they had conquered the, the children of Israel and had taken away everything from the, um, from the house of Jerusalem. Here is this king, very, he's very, been very successful. He's, had his, he's, he's got a privileged life. Right. And he's taken some vessels. Now they're just, with all due respect, I mean, they were, um, they were uh, cups and saucers, if you will. Yeah. But there was a factor to them. Yeah. They probably looked like maybe any other, maybe a little fancier, maybe a little more gold. But they were simple vessels, but God had chosen them to be serving in his house. He had sanctified them, as it says back there in the Old Testament. He had sanctified these vessels. He had, had, he had set them apart for a holy purpose. It was for them to realize that there is a treasure in every one of us that God has set aside for us to do. But it looked like he was being prosperous. He had everything. Every, life was good for him. He had all these things. It looked like he was you know, celebrating, if you will, the temporal victory, which he was. But something else happened to that. And it says, In the same hour came forth fingers of a man's hand 
and wrote over against the candlestick upon the plaster of the wall of the king's palace, and the king saw the part of the hand that wrote it. We have been given so many things in every one of our lives. Every one of us, I believe, here that came in tonight, trust themselves. Everyone got up and walked in the door. Every one of us have a mind that that put a desire in our heart to come before the throne of God or before this church to come and have a little bit of worship of praise. God gives us everything pertaining to life and godliness. He does give us, no matter who we are, He gives us that opportunity. It's what we do with that, whether we use it for our own personal pleasure, which this king was doing. He, he was fine drinking the other vessels. I'm sure they were nice too. These were, these were kings. But no, he took of God's possession. Yeah. Folks, we don't want to take of God's <coughs> possession. What God is God's possession? God's possession for you and for you and for you is your heart, yeah. is your soul, is your mind, is your strength. God is the possession that he wants you to handle with care. That's what he wants you to guard with your life. It says, though a man gained the whole world, whole world, and lose it so what would it profit a man? He wants us to treasure the most important possession that we have. Think awful times. Um, my grandfather said, well, you know, it, they give you a deed to something because it can be taken away and given to another. But you possess your soul, your salvation, your thoughts within yourself. What are you doing with that most prized possession that God put in your heart? He created man. He breathed in him. It says about the valley of dry bones. He breathed in him the breath of life. A man became a living soul. He gave us the ability to recognize that God's presence can live in our heart and life. No matter who we are, no matter what our parents were or weren't, no matter what's happened to us as we have gotten of the age of accountability, He's given every one of us some vessels that we can use to either His benefit or we can make a mockery of what God has given us. And it goes on, the rest of y'all know all the story, but it says, <laughs> then the king's countenance was changed. When God touches your soul and your heart and puts a spirit of conviction on you and says, don't go this way, don't do that, that could be the death of your soul, your countenance will be changed. But guess what? It also says you can have your conscience seared as a hot iron which it burns its flat, has no pliability, it doesn't listen, it's not basically good for anything. If you burn your, I've put an iron too hot on my shirt one time, well, it, it ruined it, it was it. You can sear your conscience and realize that the most important possession that you have, you've, you're giving it to your own glory. You're giving it to your own honor. You're using it as the vessels that God gave you for your own personal benefit or your own personal uh, glory over one another. Oh, be careful. This says, And his counsels was changed, and his thoughts troubled him, so the joints of the lions, his loins were loosed, and his knees smoked one to another. Yeah. God's hand yeah. can touch you. He touches you in different ways. I have seen a brother, my uncle was touched that way, that God smote his knees and brought him to an altar of prayer. But it may be different. Mine calling wasn't that way. I was in the church, and the Lord called me, and I felt a need to go. So every one of us different. So it's not going to be a hand on the wall. It's going to be God's touching your heart to say this is the way walk you in it. Yeah. And of course we know on, it goes on down the line how that, what did he turn to? When he had this situation, he turned to his magicians. He turned to his strength. He turned to his friends. He turned to his people that he was comfortable with. The ones that he, the soothsayers. 
the ones that were beholden to him, and none of them could tell him of the dream. He was troubled. He wanted to know. He was omnipotent power. Back at that time, kings were omnipotent power. They could say, this person died, this person lived. They had that kind of authority. He turned to the wrong hands to see what the meaning of that dream was. He knew something was God. When you see a hand writing on the wall, physical hand, without anybody behind it, it would shake anybody up. But his queen said, it says, there is a man in thy kingdom in whose spirit of the holy gods in the days of thy father light and wisdom like the wisdom of gods was founded in him. Oh, what the spirit of the Lord can do. And we're telling you today, there is a spirit that this little church has found that God put into our heart and he can put into your heart. No matter where you go, God can put his spirit into your heart and you can live righteously, godly in this present world. And he goes on down, I want to, and of course, his first thing was to award Daniel with the the best of the kingdom. If you tell me this dream, I'll give you all the ropes, I'll give you all the power, and I forgot exactly how much much gold he would give him. He was still looking at it temporally. This is God's hand that was judging him for the wrong that he had done, and he's still looking to buy himself out of trouble with gold and silver. You can't buy your way to heaven, but you can buy the precious Spirit of God. But anyhow, they, they contacted Daniel and brought him. And it says, um, give, skip it on down because I want to read some other scripture. It says, Then the part of the hand was sent from him, and this was written. And it was in this writing was written, Miki, Miki, Tiki, however I pronounce it. It says, This is the interpretation of the thing. God hath numbered thy kingdom and finished it. This wow. king, this omnipotent king who had conquered the temple, had carried away to Babylon, took all the things away, was enjoying the fruits of, of, of their victory, his kingdom was numbered. How about that? Then Tekel, thou art weighed in the balances and found wanting. Our soul, if he did that to those vessels, don't you think that we are God's creation? He created man in his own image. He created his own likeness. He created us in our spirit. He cared so much for us that he gave us a garden of Eden that man could live without any physical work but just one thing to obey and of course he gave us also the free will and with that free will choose you this day whom you will serve and of course we know Adam and Eve chose different but he says thou art balanced and found wanting thy kingdom is divided and given to the Medes and the Persians and in in that night Belshazzar the king of the Chaldeans was slain Folks, it's the most important thing. What are you doing with the vessels that God has given you? What are you doing with the time that God has given you? The most important thing you have is your mind and your time and your health. That, what are you doing with that? I want to make sure that I give it to all of God's honor and glory. And then it kind of threw me over here to um, lead me to uh, Hebrews. It says, Therefore we ought to give the more honors heed to the things that we have heard, lest at any time we should let them slip. What? That means that we have to give our life daily to God. It's not once we get sanctified, we don't have to do anything. Once in grace, always grace. We work every day, but guess what? When you work for the Lord, He richly pays. He gives you joy. He gives you peace. He gives you long-suffering, gentleness, kindness. He gives you all those things that can pertain, as I said earlier, to life and godliness. Why would we give the mourners to to that? For the word spoken by the angels was steadfast. Steadfast. God... God was steadfast on that, uh, that hand on the wall. 
and every disobedient and transgression received a just recompense of reward. He knew. I'm sure there was a lot. You think about the world and, and at that time, and, and, and there was a lot of people throughout the entire world. But he knew what Belshazzar was doing in his own party, in his own house, would do it with God's creation. God knows the thoughts and intents of us. It's a big world. There's, I forgot. You young people tell me five, six billion people. But he knows the thoughts and intents of your heart. How does he do that? It's beyond. He doesn't need me to know, but he does. And I'm glad that he does. That he cares for me. He knows he can make a way for me. How shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? How great a what? What is a great salvation? A great salvation is a salvation that removes the effects of the devil in our life. It's not just that we get a little bit better. We get completely changed. And we get completely changed so much that it says to Nicodemus, you must be born again. That's about the biggest change that you can have. And it says you're translated from death into life because we love the brother. That is what God will do for us. How shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation, which at first began to be spoken by the Lord, and was confirmed unto us by them that heard it. That's what we didn't create this. Christ sanctified holy church didn't create this plan of salvation. God lets us have a part of it, but it's it's confirmed in our life. It's confirmed by the witnesses, say a crowd of witnesses ahead of us. Uh, It's confirmed in that that God gives us the ability to possess our vessel in sanctification and in honor. And I won't read it. Well, I want to read this. It says in the ninth verse, this is the second chapter of Hebrews, but we see Jesus, who was made a little lower than the angels yeah. for the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor, that he, by the grace of God, should taste death for every man. Now, wait a minute. Brother Thomas died. Others before us died. How's that? you talking about death out to sin. You have to yeah. die out to sin. And anyhow, um, and then skipping on, by, I want to turn back to the sixth chapter of Romans, which I have been feasting on. The first part of it says... Knowing these things, knowing that God wants our vessels to be used for His benefit. He wants our time and our talent. He wants us to be an honor soldier for Him. He wants us to give Him the glory and the honor and everything that it's not within man to walk and direct His steps. It's not with, but the steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord. And it says here in Romans, the sixth chapter, what shall we say then? Knowing this, that God wants our vessels, our possessions, our time and our talent be used for His will. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. That means forbid it. He does not get that. How shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? There's the death that we die out to. We don't die out of temple death when we get sanctified, but the effects of the devil upon our life are gone. And we're a new creature in Christ Jesus. Know you not that so many of us were baptized into Jesus Christ, were baptized unto his death, therefore, therefore we are buried with him, but with him by baptism and death, that like as Christ was raised from the dead, even so we should walk in newness of life. The problem is people are looking and they're they're a, a strange when, when when the Spirit of the Lord left Adam and Eve, their life changed. When you don't have the presence of the Lord, you're a different creature. But when you get the presence of the Lord, because you're sitting over here saying, well, I can't live that life. Those people just, you know, they were trained that way, they whatever, this way. No, you can't do that. 
it's whenever you get the presence of the Lord gives you the ability to walk a sanctified life. And then skipping on down, down to the um, 15th chapter, and this is the 6th chapter of Romans, what shall we say then? Shall we, shall we sin because we're not under the law but under grace? And there is a war between the law and grace and truth came by Jesus Christ in these people's minds. It says, God forbid, know you not to whom you yield your servants to obey, his servants are to whom you obey, whether a sin and a death or obedience unto righteousness. We yield ourselves to somebody whether we know it or not. We're either one way or the other, but when you have kneeled to God, you know that the presence of the Lord is in your heart. The 17th verse, but, but God be thanks that you were the servants of sin, but you have obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine which was delivered to you. We were delivered a doctrine from Jesus Christ. He says, For God so loved the world that He sent His only begotten Son in the world. That, that's part of it, but He died. His birth was one part. His death was the second. But oh my, the resurrection, and He came in on the day of Pentecost. That completed His plan. He said He was done. He had finished the temporal work. Christ said that on the, on, on the cross. He physically had done everything that was required of Him. He could have preached another 30, 40 years, but his part was showing that a man could live in this present world, but he was going to come again into your heart and not into your, the earth anymore. He wasn't going to come back down here to let the Romans take him again. He lives in our heart and life, and that's the resurrection we get when you get on the day of Pentecost. It says, it says, for if I lost my spot, he said, don't, God be thanks, being then made free from sin. I talk about that word made. How are we made free from sin? That's the verse in the Bible right there. Being made free from sin. How do we become made free from sin? By kneeling at a cross. Kneeling at an altar. Presenting our body a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto God, which is reasonable service. So we have to be made by, the, by our sacrifice to God. Not a temporal sacrifice, as they did in the first covenant, but present your body a living sacrifice. We can be made free from sin in this present world. I think he was talking about those people in that day. I think he's talking about us today, that we can be made free from sin. You become servants of righteousness. I speak after the manner of men of because of your firmity of flesh. For as you have yielded your members' servants to uncleanliness and iniquity, and we did that. Find another law in there in my mind. It's warned against the law in my mind, bringing me into captivity. That's, that's where we found ourselves when we realized we needed the presence of God. Even so now, yield your members, servants to righteousness unto wholeness. For when you were the servant of sin, you were free from righteousness. He's making a distinction. You're either servant of the devil or of unrighteousness or you're servants of God. There is a distinction between that. I didn't make that distinction. God made that distinction. It says, what fruit then you had in the things wherever you were shamed? For the end of these things is death. And then the 22nd verse. Now being made free from sin. There it is again. We can't, there is a way you could live above the sin of the world. Right. Not that you ate too much or you sped five miles an hour over the speed limit. We're talking about transgression of God's law that you have committed against Him. And it's, it's there in Galatians and all the others. We can read that another time. Being made free from sin and become service of God, you have your fruit unto holiness and the end everlasting life. So that's when we just sung that song about there is, He'll hold to my hand. 
as we go over life's value. That's what the Lord can do. For the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So what are you doing with your vessels? What are you doing with your time? What are you doing with your, 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 your mind? What are you doing with the thoughts and intents of the heart? Are you using it to have a, a life console, solely consisting of praise that other men can give you? Or are you yielding your vessels unto God and put His trust into Him and put your life work into His work and into His plan and be as, as trees of righteousness, what are you doing with your vessels? Yes. I would pray that anyone that doesn't know the Spirit of the Lord, that you make your vessels sanctified. Yeah. You make your life sanctified. As He sanctified those vessels back then and yield your life unto God. I want you all to pray for me.